morning, church. How are we? Good. If you've noticed, we have some special guests with us today. Uh, those, if you may not, yeah, amen, amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Luis to come forward. So Pastor Luis, he is planting a church uh, just across the railroad tracks. They meet at Maple City Baptist, uh, usually in the next 30 minutes or so. And I've just invited him to come and share a little bit about what's going on at their church so that we can be praying for them. So first of all, we'd just love to know, give us an update of how things are going at the church. Buenos dias, mis hermanos. Oh, yeah, we, we don't have another mic. Do we? Good morning, everyone. Luis. Here we go, here we go. Can we get that one? That'll be, that'll be quicker. Es una bendición estar con ustedes en esta mañana. It's a blessing to be with, with you guys this morning. Gracias a la invitación del pastor Ben, nuestro pastor. Thanks for the invitation to the, the pastor. Sí, reciban muchos saludos de mi esposa. No pudo acompañarme porque tiene quebrantos de salud. Um, my wife said greetings, but she couldn't be today here because she's sick. Sí, me acompaña esta mañana un grupo de hermanos eh, que los he invitado pues porque queremos conocernos y relacionarnos mejor con nuestra iglesia enviadora. El pastor me ha pedido que comparta lo que Dios ha hecho eh, entre nosotros y lo que está haciendo. Eh, comenzamos el 10 de abril recibiendo la llave del templo que estamos utilizando actualmente, día 10 de abril de este año. Comenzamos cuatro matrimonios, es decir, ocho adultos y una niña. Eh, hoy somos 15 familias, Eh, tres adultos solteros, 32 adultos por todos, seis niños y dos adolescentes. Hemos celebrado, además de eso, unas 11 conversiones al Señor durante estos meses. Amen. Amen. Sí. Expresamos nuestra gratitud a Dios por lo que Él ha hecho y hace y seguirá haciendo entre nosotros y a través de nosotros. Hay seis hermanos que están esperando bajar a las aguas del bautismo. Queremos darle las gracias a Dios y a ustedes, amada iglesia, en primer lugar por su apoyo como iglesia enviadora. Recordemos que en el libro de los Hechos, capítulo 13, 
no fue una agencia misionera la que envió misioneros, sino fue la misma iglesia local la que despidió a la primera pareja misionera. Y damos gracias a Dios porque el Pastor Ben y ustedes han escuchado la voz de Dios para apoyarnos en el establecimiento de esta iglesia hispana. Iglesia Bautista de la Ciudad. Gracias por apoyarnos en el Garacel. Logramos la meta de comprar una pequeña impresora para tener en la oficina para cosas pequeñas. Gracias por apoyarnos con sus ofrendas, con sus oraciones. Gracias por apoyarnos con el programa de inglés. Estamos tratando de aprender a hablar en lenguas. Y gracias por permitirnos compartir con ustedes en esta segunda oportunidad. Voy a pedir a los hermanos que me acompañan en esta mañana de la congregación que se pongan de pie. Sí, tenemos Gracias hermano Tenemos dentro de las familias eh, La mayoría son familias venezolanas Pero tenemos una familia salvadoreña Tenemos una familia hondureña Que Dios nos permitió ganar para Cristo en estos meses Y quiero terminar con las palabras del apóstol Pablo en Filipenses capítulo 4. Capítulo 4, versículo 17 al 19. Pablo lo que busco son ingresos que aumenten vuestra cuenta. Ah, ajá. Acuso pues recibo de todo que ha sido más que suficiente. Me siento satisfecho con lo que habéis enviado por medio de Epafrodito. Y que es ofrenda de suave olor y sacrificio que Dios acepta con agrado. Mi Dios, a su vez, rico y poderoso como es, proveerá a todos, a todas vuestras necesidades por medio de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. 
Gracias, hermanos, por su apoyo. En esta nación hermosa que abrió sus brazos para recibirnos, hay más de 68 millones de hispanos que necesitan a Jesucristo. Y con el apoyo de cada uno de ustedes, iremos adelante conquistando esas almas que el Señor quiere. Yo creo que esta es la última cosecha antes del regreso de Cristo por su iglesia. Así que vamos adelante. I was at a training this week. Uh, it was it was Send Network orientation. So the Send Network is the church planting organization of the Southern Baptist Convention. We are uh, we are connected with the Southern Baptist Church. We have a relationship with them. He's been through the training. And, and one of the things I was reminded of this week is that the church, the local church, is not the end goal. Do we realize that? Like, Gospel Community Church is not in competition with other churches. Amen? Like, we're doing this together. What is the goal of the church? The, the goal is not to build Gospel Community Church. The goal is to grow the kingdom of God. And there's no way we can do it alone. That's why I thank God for Brother Luis planting the church and Can we commit to pray for these brothers and sisters who are going into the darkness just as we are, reaching a community that uh, most of us do not, are not able to reach? I want us to commit as a church to pray, to provide as they have needs, uh, but I'm so thankful for them. And so can, can we just have them stand up again, those who are in the church? Okay, here's what I'd like to do, and I'll let you interpret as I pray. I want to pray. If you are close, do you mind just putting your hand on one of their shoulders? And can we just pray? Everybody stand. Let's have everybody stand. But if you're close enough, you just want to put a hand on their shoulder. Hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, but let, let me just pray for uh, this church and for God's grace. Father, we are so grateful for Pastor Luis and these believers in Christ. We thank you for their desire to see a gospel-centered church planted for the Hispanic community. Lord, we pray that you would allow them to break down the doors of darkness and bring the lights. We pray that people would step into life, Lord, those who are dead, that they would find life in Christ. I pray that you would bring humility to Pastor Luis. Help him to be humble. I pray that you would allow him to be spirit-led. I pray that he would be a man who loves the word of God and proclaims it boldly. And Father, I pray that you would help us to know how we can partner truly together. So that we could reach the nations for the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless. Gracias, Pastor. God bless.
Thank you. Thank you. My heart would be for sure to have a joint service where we are fed from our brothers and sisters just as we are doing the feeding maybe today. Uh, praise God for the partnership we have in the gospel. Amen. Uh, to, to see the nations come together, man, may, may we see more of that. May we see more of that in our community. Let me invite you now to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, we are a church that preaches salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. We believe that it's true. We believe it is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, that he saved us. This is foundational to our understanding of salvation. And if we compromise on this, then we will completely miss God's grace. But let me ask you this question. Do our works matter? If we are saved apart from works, then do we need, even need to worry about good works at all? Do we need to worry about having a disciplined life? How would you answer that? Let me have you consider a few scriptures that speak to this question. James 2 verse 17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In a scripture that you've heard me read many, many times to end the service, Matthew 5, 16, our Savior says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let me ask you, do our works matter? Yes, they do. Martin Luther said this, we were saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Now certainly, we have to be careful here, don't we? We have to guard ourselves when we start talking about doing good works. We do not do good works to earn favor from God. Rather, good works overflow from a heart desiring to bring attention to the beauty of Christ. Let me read that again. We do not do good works to earn favor from God. Rather, good works overflow from a heart desiring to bring attention to the beauty of Christ. We want all the attention to go to him, don't we? We want him to be lifted high. And I believe a disciplined life brings attention to that because a disciplined life brings the word of God, and applies it on a regular basis. So this morning we are starting a four-week series called The Disciplined Life. And let me just give you an overflow of what that's going to look like. Today we're going to focus on 2 Timothy 2.15. And we're going to read that in a minute. We're going to get a, kind of a, a broader picture 
of what the disciplined life looks like. What, what does it look like flying more kind of up high? And we're using it based on 2 Timothy 2.15. Next week, we're going to dive into the discipline of God's word. God's word is the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that we have been given. The creator. We get to meet him in the word of God. He doesn't leave us alone. In two weeks from now, we're going we're gonna to talk about the discipline of prayer. What greater expression of dependence is there than prayer? And then lastly, we're going to finish with the discipline that maybe uh, you wouldn't consider that being a discipline, but the discipline of being a part of a church, the discipline of committing to the church and what that means, giving towards the mission of the church, participating in fellowship where we confess sin to one another, we are known by one another, and we know others, and we care for one another. Uh, that's how we're going to finish that out. So it's going to look a little bit different. If you've been coming here a while, usually we're going through a book of the Bible, but for the rest of the year, we're actually going to be doing more of a series. We've got the Disciplined Life, and then we're going to be heading into Christmas where we're going to look at the Advent words of Christmas. But for now, let's look at 2 Timothy 2.15 together. It says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we confess that, that we desperately need you this morning. Father, we could easily fall off the saddle on one direction or the other. Lord, when it, when it comes to living a disciplined life, there are some here who may be tempted to boast and how disciplined they are. And Father, the other temptation may be to, to look at how undisciplined they are and, and be discouraged and condemn ourselves. God, remind us, first of all, of your grace. And Lord, remind us that the disciplined life is not to earn favor with you, but rather it's out of the overflow of a heart that loves you. So God, protect us from going sideways. But Lord, I do believe Having a disciplined life matters for the sake of the kingdom. And so, God, would you give wisdom this morning as only you can give. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I have three facts for us about the disciplined life. Here's fact number one. The disciplined life is a life of effort. The disciplined life is a life of effort. Look at the scriptures. Do your best. In other words, it means be diligent. Make every effort. Again, as we've mentioned, and I'm going to mention it a few times today, probably again, our efforts don't impact our salvation, at least in the sense that it doesn't earn our salvation. We must understand that. By doing good, by disciplining our lives for the sake of Christ, it doesn't make God love us any more than he already does. We must understand that. But if we aren't willing to give effort in our spiritual lives, what does that say about us? If we aren't willing to give time to the Lord, what does that say about our affections for him? You know, there are people all around who will get fired up about saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and then think, oh, you know what, God saved me, so I can go do whatever I want to. He's already taken care of my problems, so I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I get to go to heaven because Jesus already paid for it. And so they kind of put Jesus on the shelf, and when they need something, they might pull him off the shelf. But 
God calls us to live a different life than that. And so does Timothy here. I'm here to say, if that is you, if you are one who says, I've been saved so I can live whatever, live the way, the way I want to, take heed, brothers and sisters. What does it say about the person who is unwilling to put forth effort for the sake of Christ? So here we have Paul teaching to a young Timothy. Could you imagine him saying, hey, bro, like, I just want you to do enough. Just do enough to get by. Like, you know, and, it, and if you feel like you've been good enough, you feel like you've done enough, then go ahead, just, just, just take a break. Just punch out and take it easy for a while, but, but just do enough to get by. How many of you in school just did enough to get by? Be honest. Uh, my hand's up, right? You just kind of get the grades that you needed to get so you could pass and move on. Like, I was a good student. I made the honor roll uh, basically all throughout high school, but it could have been better. I just did enough to get by. Paul's not saying, hey, Timothy, do enough. Man, do something. No, he's saying, do your best. Paul understood the temptation to walk away when things are difficult. And if he were here today, I believe he'd encourage us to give great effort for the sake of Christ. Would we all agree that Paul gave his best effort. As we look at the book of Acts and we saw all that he was willing to suffer and endure, Paul is speaking from a place that understands, man, we have to be disciplined. Why do you think that is? That's because we are all tempted to drift away from God, aren't we? Our nature is not like we just kind of trip into God. We don't, we don't just kind of drift into God. Do you realize that in the stream of the world, the flow is going against Christ? And therefore, in order to build up enough strength to move against the current, we have to discipline ourselves. We are not going to stumble into godliness. I mean, think about that. How many of you have to discipline yourself to look at your phone in the morning? Oh, you know what? i got to put great effort to grab my phone because my temptation is to, to drift away from it. i, I got to work really hard at seeing if anybody responded to my Facebook post last night because my temptation is not to care at all. You know, my temptation is, is to drift away from Netflix and, and Prime Video, and i really got to make effort to binge watch this TV series. I, I got I to gotta work really hard at eating junk food. Man, my kids still have Halloween candy, and I really need to eat some when I get home. It's going to be really hard to get myself to do that. All, all of these things that I just mentioned, we drift towards them. So Paul is not saying, hey, drift into God. Hey, drift into being a, a workman who who has no need to be ashamed. No, you got to put your effort into it. You ever realize that the things that are worse for us are the easiest to do? <laughs> oh, man, I really have to work hard at pushing snooze this morning. Like, it's so hard to push it. <laughs> Said no one ever that I know of. We drift away from God. Thus, the reason why 
We need to put great effort into it. All the things that don't matter usually take no effort. You know, I, I love the song, the song that I just relate so well with. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how is your effort in pursuing Christ? How is your time used in pursuing the Lord? Are you doing your best? Or do you find yourself drifting this morning? Has God exposed any areas in your life where you lack discipline and it affects your walk with him? If so, let me encourage you, repent. And then be reminded of the grace in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Don't run from the Lord if you find great discouragement in your lack of discipline. Run, don't run away from the Lord. Run to your Savior who understands your weakness. But nevertheless, we must understand in the Christian life, it takes effort. Look at the next phrase. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Here's the second fact. The disciplined life helps eliminate shame. The disciplined life helps eliminate shame. How many of you have ever felt any kind of shame at any point in your life? Raise your hand. I think that's something we can all relate to. If you've never felt shame, then let's talk afterwards because I want to remind you of what the Savior says about your sin. <laughs> all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. There is reason for us to have some kind of shame that we have faced in the past. And we don't need to worry about the shame of the sins of the past, but yet we've, we know what shame is. But let's be honest, there, there are reasons why people feel shame and they have no reason to feel it. For instance, you ever notice that when somebody is sexually assaulted in some way, what usually happens to those victims? What do they usually feel? Shame. Like they did something wrong or they deserved it. Does that person have any reason to feel shame at all? No. I was, I'm reading this book about cults. I don't know why. I just like cults, not, not cults, but cults, C-U-L-T-S. And I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling who people are willing to chase after. And there's this one guy who lived in Miami and Mexico, and he began this cult, and he just did some crazy stuff that were mind-boggling to me that somebody could be so out of whack. And here's the thing that happened with the mother of this, this boy. The mother disappeared. Why? Because she felt shame for what her son had done. And many of the family members disappeared too because they felt shame. Is it, now, are they necessarily to blame for the sins of this man? Not necessarily. So we can all understand that sometimes we feel shame that we, that we don't need to feel. It's not on us. But let's be honest with us, with ourselves this morning. Isn't it true that much of the shame that we feel is deserved? Let, let me give you a couple examples of that. A, a brother or sister who is struggling with pornography. Often, if, if you are a believer, that is accompanied with what? Shame. 
I know this is wrong, but I just can't stop. And you're afraid that somebody's going to find out. Or if somebody does find out, that might create all the more shame. Maybe you're, you don't want to go confess to somebody because that's going to bring shame upon you. Here's some other examples. Let's talk first about, about that person who is involved in inappropriate sexual immorality. Is there reason for them to be shamed? Yes. And that comes from a lack of discipline. It comes from not disciplining their minds to turn away from those images or to participate in something they shouldn't do. They lack discipline in their lives. Here's some other areas where we might excuse a little bit more. Have you ever had a work day or maybe even just a day at home where you got a lot to do, but then you just kind of find yourself scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? And you know how they have those little videos on there, like five-minute videos? Five-minute videos become 10 minutes, becomes 20 minutes, becomes an hour, becomes two hours. One Netflix show becomes two, becomes, and all of a sudden you realize you have wasted so much time. You ever, you know what I'm talking about? And you kind of feel like this shame and this guilt that you just wasted a day. Uh, you just wasted it. That's what happens when we aren't living disciplined lives. If, if we can't discipline ourselves to stay away from these things, it, it'll hurt us. Perhaps you love to shop. And you go for one thing and you come back with ten. <laughs> hey, I'm going to get a dress, honey. I, I love tennis shoes. I mean, I'm not obsessed with them, but, like, I go to Adidas, my favorite store, favorite tennis shoes, and they're on sale. Like, you have to buy them, right? You just have to. They're on sale. You can't get them cheaper anywhere else. Ben, you got three pairs, but this is a different pair. <laughs> Amazon. How many of you love and hate Amazon for that very reason? This is a price I can't pass up? <laughs> and we can find ourselves... Ashamed that we had wasted so much money on stuff that doesn't matter. I really didn't need that trinket. Video games. There's one we don't want to talk about. I, I in college, I'm going to date myself for those of you who are video gamers. Uh, the PS2 just came out. What are they at, PS25 now or something? I don't know what it is. Uh, but I, I bought a PS2 in college, and I just played that sucker for hours. Hours and hours and hours, and it felt like, and that's what happens with video games, man. You get playing, and all of a sudden, the, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, what has just happened? But I remember just obsessed, not able to put the game down until I beat it, and I don't know, 20-plus hours, uh, wasting playing video games, and I just felt this incredible shame after, like, what did I just accomplish? I didn't even feel good about beating the game. I, I just wasted my life, and I realized I am not a disciplined person, and the worst thing I can have is this gaming system in my house. And so I packed it up and I sold it that day because it was pulling me away from Christ and it brought shame to my life. I was listening to a Notre Dame podcast recently. Any football fans here in Notre Dame? And I came across this quote that is, it blew my mind. Like It's so funny sometimes where you hear like the most amazing quotes. And this is what... This, I don't know who said it, uh, but I think he was quoting somebody else, but here's the quote. The undisciplined life is a life of fear. The undisciplined life is a life of fear. What is shame often equated with? Fear, right? The un, you could say the undisciplined life is a life of shame. Why is that? 
Because oftentimes when we're undisciplined, we are hiding something that we don't want others to know. And so what does hiding something that you don't want others to know create in us? Fear and shame. And we want to hide it. You see, the the undisciplined life does not eliminate shame. It explodes it. But the more that we guard our hearts with all vigilance, for out of it flows the fear, the for out of it flows the, the lifeblood in us. The more we discipline our lives, the more we begin to eliminate fear. We begin to see it dissipate. When we pursue God's word, when we seek the Lord in prayer, shame begins to go away. Why? Because we are living as workmen who have no need to be ashamed. Nobody can look at my life and point anything out that would bring me shame because I'm disciplining my life to the glory of God. The more we discipline our lives to the glory of God, nobody can come in and say, Ben, why, are you, why is this in your life? You understand? If we are wasting our lives and living lives of sin, Should we be surprised when we feel the shame in our lives? And here's where the world steps in and mucks everything up. Because they come in and say, oh, you struggle with, okay, hear me out, please. I understand there are people who are legitimately struggling with physical things. So please don't use this as a blanket statement. However, I think we've given us, our kids and ourselves, so many different letters to try to describe ourselves to take the blame away. Well, he's just that way because he's OCD. Again, please hear me out. I I do believe there are cases where people have legitimate issues. But I have searched in my life to find out, man, something's wrong with me, but it's got to be outside of me. It's got to be something I can't help. And I think we first, before we want to look at those things, we need to examine our own lives Is there a reason why I'm feeling shame? Often when I am feeling shame, it's not because of something I shouldn't feel shame over. It's actually because God's trying to tell me, hey, this is a natural consequence for you being a bonehead. (laughs) Right? You're being a fool. Of course you're going to feel shamed over it. How often do you try to find a reason for your struggles outside of taking ownership for not being a disciplined person? We have to first be willing to ask ourselves, is this something that I am bringing upon myself before we try to pursue another reason for it? The disciplined life helps eliminate shame. Here's the last fact. The disciplined life leads to spiritual maturity. The disciplined life leads to spiritual maturity. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When it comes to being disciplined, one of the greatest areas we need to be disciplined in is the study of God's word. If you were to read outside of the context of that verse, what you're going to see is the danger not having a proper understanding of God's word, look at verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. How much do we see that? You ever listen to preachers on, on TV often? 
who are trying to scratch people's ears. They want, they, they're giving you what you want to hear, but they're not really giving you truth. Avoid that stuff. 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are, he names these people. Oh, my goodness, imagine that. Hey, among them are Aaron and Mark. Yeah, these guys are, watch them, man. <laughs> That's our elders, in case you didn't know who I was talking about there. They're good, though. They're good. They're good. Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Even here we see the why discipline life to depart from iniquity. He's saying guard yourself. How do people start believing things that aren't true but are coming from quote-unquote Christians? It's because they're not doing their best to study the word of God. And so they hear something that, oh, that feels good. I can live my best life now. Oh, I could prosper over this. I can get rich and wealthy and my kid won't die. And this is what's being fed all around the world. How do we guard against that stuff? By knowing the word of God. By being students of the word of God. Listen, this is the greatest gift outside of salvation in his son that we have received in the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift. Because in it we get to meet our Savior. And listen, we have to ask ourselves, how do you respond to the word of God? Is it overbearing? Is it a burden? Do you look at it as just a bunch of rules that you have to follow and you're just reminded how much of a loser you are? Then you're missing it. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. If we love the Lord, we are going to pursue a disciplined life. Because we love him, because of what he's done for us, and because living a disciplined life allows us to be clear and clean so that we know our mission to glorify God by making disciples, and we're not just focused on our own things. Because God's word exposes our hearts. Even that verse right there, 1 John 5, 3, takes us back to the intro where he clarified that good works don't save us. This isn't the salvation of God that we keep his commandments. This is the love of God. It's an overflow out of our salvation and our love for our Savior that we do good works, that we keep his commandments. And it's actually the disciplined life that shows that we love God. And remember... Are we drifting towards God or do we got to make great effort towards God? We're not drifting towards him. That's the disciplined life. Keeping his commandments is not something that we stumble into. It takes effort because our drift is away from the Lord. You know, I, I think we'd be hard-pressed to overemphasize the importance of being students of God's word. One cannot expect to grow in Christ and not put any effort into understanding the Bible. You know, some people kind of approach church as, well, this is why I come. You're the expert. I came to get from you. I'm not, I'm not the expert. I came for you to feed me. Why are you making me do stuff? I'm here to hear you. And so we, we have this idea to think that we come to church on Sunday. That's an act. And so we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. But I wonder how many believers, professing believers, actually understand the importance 
of being disciplined in the word of God. How many of you walked into this room this morning and this is the first time you've opened up God's word in the last six days? See, some, some people look at trials in our lives and, and they immediately want to like blame God or say God's punishing me because I, I wasn't a student of God's word, so God's punishing me. And, and maybe that's the case, but don't you think sometimes trials come into our lives because we have messed it up ourselves? If we aren't feeling our minds with God's word, if we aren't renewing our minds with the truth of God's word, and we're allowing everything that the world, the world has to say to influence what we think and what we feel, isn't a natural consequence going to be hard times? Perhaps God is judging us in those moments, and I mean, the Lord disciplines those he loves, but I really think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are bringing it on ourselves. I mean, if you, were, if you were to decide to eat one meal a week, Sunday meal, 10, 15, that's my meal. You, you might be able to do that for a week or two. Like, you're fasting, and so it's a, it's a discipline of getting to the Lord, and that's great. But if you were to do that week after week after week after year after year, what would happen? You shrivel up and die. You're not getting the nourishment that your body needs. You know, how often do we... Look at God's word that way. And how often do we allow the, the things that we drift into to take our attention away, take our affections away from the Lord? You know, in our living room, we have a bay window that pops out. Is that what it's called, Nikki? Is it a bay window? I'm not an expert on that stuff. I don't know. It's a window to me. But... Anyway, uh, on, on our porch outside, then you've got a flat surface right above that window. Do you know what likes to live up there? Birds. I've seen, you know, we've had a couple seasons of eggs in there that hatch. And what do the mamas do for the baby birds? Go grab them a worm and feed them. But what, what, does, that, what does that mother bird do eventually? <laughs> You're gone. <laughs> That sounds so harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> How many of you felt like your mama pushed you out? No, we won't get into that. That's a different sermon for a different day. Here's the thing. There are, there are seasons where we might be appropriate, where we feel lost. If you're a new believer, you may have no idea where to go, and you are just, you just need somebody to feed you. Listen, that's okay. There might be seasons where you just need to come under and, and be fed by somebody. But there has to come a point where we are feeding ourselves. You can't, you can't live on one meal a week. And if we can't live on food, then we certainly can't live on without God's word. But pastor, you don't understand. I, I'm not a pastor. I am not very smart. And I'm limited intellectually. First of all, I would just remind, like, want you to know that I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not... That impressive, am I, Nikki? No, don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> I, I am not brilliant. I was not a great student. I'm not a fast reader. I don't retain things very well. But here's what I got going for me. I got the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in me. 
And if you've repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Christ, guess what? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you think you're going to open up the Bible on your own and by your own intellect come to understand it and have it penetrate your heart, you are missing the point. It's not man's wisdom. This is the wisdom of God that can only penetrate us because the Spirit opens our eyes that we behold him. And so I would say stop with the excuses. Listen, I start with the prayer, not every time, but I try to start with this prayer often. And this is scripture. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Not, hey, Ben, you got this, man. Come on, Ben. We got this. We're going to do this. You're going to understand this. If you were to step in my office, probably on a weekly basis, there are times where I'm just like, God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say out of this. I I have no idea what what is going to come out of this. But here's the thing. It's not on me. Like, I am... I am just as dependent on the Spirit as you are. So don't let your limited understanding of of things keep you from pursuing God's word and asking the Spirit to reveal his truth to you through his word. Please don't, though, expect the Holy Spirit to come to you if you're sitting or watching Netflix all day. Don't have the expectation that somehow you're going to become a man of God by by watching um, Noah on Netflix. With, what's his name? Russell Crowe. <laughs> Please don't watch that movie. It has nothing to do with God and his word. Except for the fact there was a flood, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Are you a student of God's word? Paul understood what it took. Let me finish with this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll wrap it up here shortly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to get a picture of what Paul knew of the Christian life, the way he approached it. Paul was not a man that gave some effort, gave a little bit of effort, did enough. He was a guy that went above and beyond because he was so driven by the love for his Savior. You've heard some form or fashion of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and following. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. You ever gone to the gym and you have no idea what you're doing? So you're just kind of looking around and I'm going to do a couple here. I'm going to do a couple here. Do a couple here. All right. I think that's good. I don't know. Like he's, he, he's not just beating the air. He's disciplining his body and keeping it under control. Left at less after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How many pastors have you heard about who have given themselves over to sexual immorality? Who have allowed pride to reign in their hearts? Those are people who lack discipline. People who have not allowed the word of God to 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 dwell richly within them. There is nothing more important than our walks with Christ. Therefore, there is nothing worth more effort than what we give to him. Hear me out. There's some warnings I want to give you. Because we can be a person of deep discipline and yet be far away from God. 
So here's five warnings. I'm sorry, they're not on the screen. I'll read them twice for you. Five warnings about the disciplined life that we need to be aware of. First thing, being physically disciplined is different than being spiritually disciplined. I, I find this a lot in those who are physically healthy. They, they think they're, some, some people, not all of them, but there are some who think they're the bomb. Like, pfft, look at me. God loves me because look at how fit I am. I think it's great. Like, we need to take care of our bodies. They're a temple of the Lord. But it's not reason to boast in. It's different. We can, we can be disciplined in the physical things and yet completely miss the most important. We can spend hours and hours in the gym and yet reject the word of God or neglect it. So be careful of thinking just because you're physically disciplined that you're also spiritually disciplined. Number two, a lack of discipline in one area can spill over into other areas. A lack of discipline in one area really often can spill over into other areas. It often does. For instance, for me, I love sugar. Any other sugar lovers out there? I love sugars. I love donut day when we have here, right? <laughs> uh, I particularly love cream horns. You guys know what cream horns are? Sort of like a crescent roll filled with vanilla cream. So good. So good. <laughs> and there, there have been times, I don't think Nikki has ever known this, so pray for me. It, it comes in packs of four. So there's only one of me. So, I mean, you don't want it to waste. What do you think happens if you eat four cream horns in one setting? Oh, man, I feel sick. Oh, God's punishing me. No, you're not. No, he's not. You just ate a bunch of sugar. And then what happens the next morning when you filled your body with all that junk? You're tired. You're cranky. You have no energy. Then what doesn't happen? You're not in the word of God. If we aren't taking care of these vessels that God has given us, then that is going to impact our spiritual lives. It does for me. Often a lack of discipline in one area spills over into other areas. Believe me, you guys, this, if you feel like your rear end is getting kicked this week, it's doing it all the more to me. Number three, being disciplined is about progress, not perfection. Being disciplined is about progress, not perfection. Perfection is the enemy to progress. How many perfectionists in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> if you want to, you can. Uh, I live with one. It's not Nikki, though. Uh, and what happens when you make a mistake? Oh, it's the end of the world. I got an A and not an A+. Plus. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Some of you are like, amen. I can't believe that teacher in sixth grade gave me an A and not an A+. Plus. It's the enemy of progressing. It's not about perfection. Guess what? You're not going to reach it. But we're, we're looking to, Lord, I want to be more like you. Why? So that people can see my good work, so that I can say this is God's grace in my life. So being, uh, being disciplined is about progress, not perfection. You're going to fall. You're going to have bad days. You're going to eat four cream horns in one setting. <laughs> Repent and get over it and never do it again. It was at least two weeks ago, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, our motivation for being disciplined matters. Our motivation for being disciplined matters. If we are striving to be disciplined so that God loves us more, that is not the proper motivation. If we're being disciplined because we think somehow God will save us because of our disciplined life, then we're missing it. Rather, that disciplined life needs to overflow out of a love for our Savior who has rescued us 
Why do I sing loud and hoot and holler down here? Because I am amazed that God would rescue a sinner like me. How could I not respond that way? I'm not perfect. I'm not the most disciplined person. But by God's grace, he's growing me into the image of his son. Check your motivations. And then lastly, number five, beware of pride in being disciplined. Beware of pride in being disciplined. There are some of us here who eat, drink, and breathe discipline. And I am so jealous. (laughs) But you have to be careful not to boast in that. Rather, boast all the more that God has allowed you to be that kind of way. And then how can you encourage other brothers and sisters without shaming them for how they lack discipline? Because usually what happens is we all have at least one area in our life where we are undisciplined. And it's not about us anyway. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. But as we are disciplining our lives, we are understanding God's word and diving into it. And it's overflowing out of our lives that others can see our good works And then we can point to our Savior and say, you know what, apart from Christ, I don't know where I would be. My discipline is for him. Paul lived for the glory of God. He didn't endure all the suffering so that he could whine about it and get somebody to feel sorry for him. He's rather, I do this for the sake of the gospel. He even said, I would rather give up my own life and and lose my salvation than my brothers in in Christ, the, the, the Jewish brothers, would come to Christ. What makes a man willing to be beaten over and over again, endure a shipwreck, ultimately be killed for his faith, it's out of an overflow of a deep love for his Savior. So if I didn't give you enough, I got some action steps for you too. So consider taking these home with you this week to ponder. Uh, first of all, if you memor- I encourage you, memorize this verse. Memorize 2 Timothy 2.15. And then... Spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 9. It really just talks about how Paul surrendered his rights, how he realized, like, I am not here for myself. I'm a slave to the Father. I'm going to give my life over to him. And that's when he gets into beating his body and disciplining himself so that he wouldn't be disqualified. Thirdly there, I encourage you to spend some time asking this question. How's your spiritual efforts? Are you giving time to the Lord or are you using it for other things? And then lastly, get in the word. What a gift that we have from our Savior. Let me invite you to stand with me now. I encourage you uh, to stay for prayer. We'd love to have you. We'll have lunch following prayer, not before. But let's spend some time seeking the Lord together. Let me pray for us now as we leave. Father, thank you for this this morning. I do pray for protection for those who may be tempted to be ashamed of their lack of discipline, God, that you'd protect them, that you'd remind them that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But God, if there are areas that we need to change in, then God, bring conviction to our souls. Give us the proper perspective, Lord, that the shame we feel because of our sin would lead to repentance and would lead to progress of Christ-likeness so that we don't disqualify ourselves, so that we are reminded of who we are here for and that it's you and so others may see our good works and then we can say, this is all about Jesus. This is nothing about me. Father, we need you 
in this area, we fall short. God, I pray for our time as we gather to pray corporately. Lord, that you would meet with us in a deep way. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.